real deal? Amen. You came after Easter. Come on, God bless you. Welcome. Welcome back to church post-resurrection. How many still know Jesus is alive? Amen. We are alive in this church today. God has given us all the energy we need. Somebody's going to get excited about something today. I'm going to get excited about Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Would you open up your Bibles with me to the book of um, Romans? Well, let's start in the book of Acts. Somebody say the terror of the Lord. Amen. Are you glad you came to church this morning? Amen. I'm going to get to Romans in a moment, but let's start in the book of Acts. I want to encourage you today about how to preach the gospel. Acts chapter 24. You know, last week, I preached a message that was tight but right. It was tough, but it was the kind of message we needed. And it did come with encouragement. But right after that, I had another message in my heart. This is the message right here. I actually put it on Facebook. And I want to tell you why. Because I was so happy and excited to see the house full. We had almost 300 people in both services. Praise God. But I want to encourage you with what God had me do that Sunday. And that is oftentimes you got to use the terror of the Lord to persuade people to understand his loving kindness and his goodness. So I want to go slow with you, but let me give you a little background right here. I want to take our time. Acts chapter 24, verse 24, hold your place there, knowing the terror of the Lord. Good to see you here. It was good seeing you last week. Thank you for coming back if you're a visitor. I want you to hear this from my heart. You see, most people in our culture have already heard that Jesus loves them. And they understand in some ways about the cross. But what they don't understand is that Jesus is going to judge them. They say it, but they really don't understand it. And so in one sense, there are two attributes of God that are in conflict with each other, and it's because of their misunderstanding. In their mind, they know if, if there's a God and they believe in Jesus. They know that Jesus loves them, and in some way they may know about judgment, but they don't think it's going to go bad for them. They think that somehow, because Jesus loves them, that the attribute of God's love is going to compromise his holiness. Can I hear an amen if you ever met somebody like that? I mean, they'll say to you, I know God will judge me. Like, they'll say it. They'll, they'll affirm it to you. I understand he not only loves me, but he'll judge me. But they don't quite get the judgment aspect. Because when you get into the details of the judgment, they then begin to think you're talking about a different Jesus. I mean, I'm being honest with you. As I begin to read you some scriptures today about the real Jesus, most of your friends, most of supposed Christians, you know, supposed Christians out there, they don't understand this. They don't get it because they think that God's love is going to compromise his holiness. And it's not true. God's love fulfills his holiness. Think about this. God's love fulfills his holiness. He's going to get his holy people. That's going to happen. Now, how is he going to get his holy people? He's going to get them through love. He's not going to get them through force. Otherwise, you and I would not even know our own selves. We would be robots. If God wanted from the get-go just to have people to be holy but not to be loving, he would have done it out of his holiness, not regarding his love, and would have made us robots, and you would be saying, I love you, Jesus. He would be pushing the buttons of your heart, and you wouldn't even know yourself because a robot doesn't know itself. Do you guys track with me right here? Come on. So God letting you know yourself, having a free will, 
volition, you know, freedom to choose. These things shows you that he's loving you as well as being holy with you. So God's going to get his holy people. God's going to get a people that want to be in the garden and don't want to hang out with the serpent. That's all that was in the Garden of Eden. It was just a choice. Do you want to be with me? This is what God is saying. Do you want to be with me or do you want to hang out with him? At the end of the story, what happens? The serpent goes to hell and all those who followed him, and then we go right back to the garden to be with our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ and the river of the Holy Spirit flowing from the throne. How many have seen enough hell on earth to know you want heaven to come on earth? Amen? It's not that we're angry with people as they are people. Like as a person is a person, your friend, your family member, we're not angry with them in that way. What we're angry with is the devil that, that transforms their mind into the serpent's mindset, a serpent mindset. Can I hear an amen to that? Not everything is of God. There are serpent mindsets. There are demonic thoughts that come into people's minds. And humanity has a choice whether or not they receive it. I could go deep right now, but I won't. But you can study in the Old Testament, and most Jewish people studying the Old Testament believe that the reason that, we, that God had to judge the whole earth and the reason why we had to be wiped out except for Noah and his family is because the fallen angels were teaching humanity the wicked secrets of sin. And I know that sounds a little spooky. Thank you, sir. But I actually believe partial of that. I don't go all the way. It's called the Book of Enoch. It's an extra biblical book. It's known as mythology to the Jews. But there's something interesting there because when it comes to God's judgment in Jude in the New Testament, Jude quotes from the Book of Enoch. So there's something about Enoch that has truth in it. And that grain of truth, though it's a fictional book, I do not consider Enoch to be part of Scripture, the grain of truth is that wicked did, uh, wicked angels did some wicked things upon this earth to the point where God said, I'm wiping them out. Now, where do you think homosexuality came from? I don't think that came just from the flesh. I think that came from demonic spirits. Now, I'm not saying every homosexual and lesbian is a demon. They need to be treated as such. No, they should have equal rights and be able to, have, you know, the flourish and live in freedom. I, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying the idea to do that, I believe, started with the devil and opening the minds of humans to see those things. Murder came from the devil. I mean, let's just start right there. Remember Cain and Abel? Uh, Cain, Cain and Abel. The Bible says that he came to Cain, and he says, sin is crouching at your door. I don't think like it was Sesame Street and it was the letter S with the letter I and the letter N crouching, you know, ready to pronounce. Hey, I'm sin. You know, S-I-N, sin, here I am, sin. I don't think it was like, you know, uh, you know, uh, what was I saying? Sesame Street. I don't think it was like that. I think sin was coming in the form of a demonic angel saying, hey, Cain, I got an idea how you can get God to be on your side. Kill your brother. I believe that was a demonic lie. I believe abortion is birth in demons. Demons influencing people's minds. I don't think a human on their own, if you left them alone, would do such a thing. I think demons had to tempt mankind to say, hey, offer up your children to a burning statue called Molech. Put your child on there. They would make a statue out of gold and precious metals and make it as hot as an oven. And then they would say, put your children on there to this God. That was from demons. And then when they couldn't get away with that because Christians exposed that Molech was a false god, those demons said to doctors and to people, we'll go up inside and rip out the womb. The same false worship to Molech is being done in abortion clinics, but now instead of it being done with fire, it's being done with forceps. Is anybody listening to me? 
And so what we need to do is waking up people, wake up people to a spiritual war, that the serpent is really here. And now they need to understand that God's judgment, God's punishment upon sin is because he loves his people. Do you, come on people, do you guys appreciate that we're a free country today? Are you praying for the Ukraine? Are you praying for something to stop Russia, for bullying those people, whether it be military or somebody inside their own government to take out Putin? I mean, aren't you praying for justice, for the bully to get get taken care of? We're all doing that, right? So we rejoice in justice. If somebody heard today that Putin was taken out, are we going to cry because we miss Putin, or are we going to go on the streets and celebrate? Okay, so what do you think is happening on Judgment Day? It's not just that we're rejoicing that the devil is taken out. Read the scriptures. We're also happy that those who have been following the devil get to go now. Right? I mean, it's not that you wish harm upon your neighbor, but you want your neighbor to be a good neighbor. Otherwise, you want them out of your neighborhood. See, I used to live in a bad neighborhood when I lived in New Orleans. I had my door kicked in and someone stole all my stuff. I lived in a shotgun a, a house, so I went to the dude that was in front of the house, and uh, he lived there with his mom. He was a young man. He was my friend. And I said, oh, bro, you got to check this out, man. They busted down my door, man. They took all my stuff. He came in there with me. He's like, oh, man, they did you wrong. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm glad they didn't take any of this stuff over here, man. Look, I have all my stuff over here. I've got my, my Palm Pilot. If anybody remembers a Palm Pilot, I, I said, man, here's all my other stuff. Then the next day, I go out and do ministry, and I had, I had boarded up the the place where they had kicked in the door and all that, boarded it up. I went out and I came back, and now it was busted down again. Second time. And guess what was missing? Everything that I had pointed out. I go, oh, my goodness, this was my neighbor. Man, you're the one breaking him out. That's what I'm thinking. So I go to his house. He's not there. His mom's there. And I'm like, listen, man, I think your son broke into my house and stole my stuff. She's like, oh, no, you don't know my son. He's not like that. I'm like, look, let me look around in the house. Let me see him because I was kind of friends with her too. So she let me in. I was looking around in his stuff, and I found my shirts. I found my clothes. And then she tried to tell me, she tried to say, oh, man, that's not your clothes. That he might have something like that. And I said, listen, I get my clothes dry clean. I bet you there will be a pin mark right down here where they put my tag on it. I went right to the shirt, and there was a pin mark right there. I said, this is my clothes. You see, listen to me. The devil's just like that. He's stealing from us. He's using people to do it. And God wants to get rid of the garbage. He wants to get the evil out. So here's the thing, he's, he's either, listen to me my friends, and sinners beware, either you get the junk out of your heart or God's throwing you out with the trash. That's the truth in Jesus' name. Our neighborhoods aren't going to be like this anymore after a while. The kingdom of God is coming to this earth. You're going to be able to leave your doors open. You're going to be able to trust people. You're going to be able to walk down the streets. And the Bible says it should be on earth as it is in heaven now. That's our job. And so that's why we do have justice. That's why the Bible says that the soldiers, they carry the sword on behalf of God to punish the wrongdoer, not the rightdoer. And that's why we resist evil tyrannies in the governments. We don't go with them just because they're in charge and they carry a sword. But when they carry it rightly for justice, we honor them. Can I hear an amen? And so the problem is, is that most people don't think judgment is coming to them. Most people, if you ask them, does 
God love you, they'll say yes. If you ask them to describe the love of God, they'll pretty much describe what the Bible says. You know, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He loves me. He cares for me. He hears me when I pray. You know, things like that. But if you ask them, describe to me the judgment of God, or do you believe God will judge? And they say yes, and you go, well, now describe it to me. They, don't, they won't do very well. They'll say something like, well, God's going to, you know, he's going to judge all the bad people. And then you can ask them, what well, do you think, you're bad? And then they're going to say, no, no, I don't think I'm too bad. And then you can just ask them, have you ever told a lie? Maybe the, starting with the one you just told me right now that you're not too bad. And then these, these lies, how many do you think you tell a day? You know, oh, I only tell maybe one or two lies a day. You know, maybe I lie to my boss or I lie to my wife or my kids or I do that. Okay, so you tell about what, three lies a day times 365 days in a year? That's, a, that's 1,095 lies a year. How long have you known what a lie is? Oh, I've known about a lie since I was about eight or nine. How old are you now? Well, I'm about 30 years old. So you've been lying for about 22 years, so that's 1,095 times 22 years. You've told 24,090 lies. Let's go to another one of God's commands. You ever taken the name of the Lord in vain? Well, I don't do that so much. Well, how much do you do? Well, I do it about once a week, 52 weeks in the year. You've been around 22 years. 52 times 22 years, you've done it 1,144 times. You've taken the name of the Lord in vain. So let's go back to judgment. How do you think this is going to play out for you, playa? Come on, you good person. How do you think this is going to go for you? And then you put them back into the Garden of Eden. How many sins got the judgment of God to bring this, what we deal with right now, to bring death upon the earth? How many sins did Adam and Eve commit? One. You come into judgment day with over 21,000. I've only gone with two commands for you. You want to go to the one about lusting in your heart, committing adultery? You want to go to disobeying your parents? And then instantly what will the people do? They'll retreat back to the love of God. They'll go, but, 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 but I know God loves me, but I know he'll forgive me. And that's true, but they don't understand what that means. Because if you really love God, you're going to obey his commands. And then what's the next thing they're going to say right after that? They're going to say, well, then nobody's perfect. Okay, Joe, I get it. He loves me. He doesn't want me to keep sinning. Nobody's perfect. We keep sinning. So it just must work itself out that somehow I'll be okay. And they don't understand they're not going to be okay. The love of God does not give us permission to continue in sin. God's judgment expects change. Now, when you look at your life, are you changing by the love of God, or are you just having some make-believe relationship with him? You see, the love of God should compel you to change. When I got married, I changed the way I looked at dating. I either date my mate or I don't date at all. Can I hear an amen to that? I didn't start uh, just, you know, doing a little dating on the side and say, well, you know what, baby, um, you know, I'm going to marry you and we're going to do, you know, do marriage. I'm going to live with you, but I'm just going to date maybe once a month somebody. I didn't start making compromises with her. I didn't say to her, you know what, honey, I'm going to love you with all of my heart most of the time. Most of the time. You think that would have gone good? No, I committed my whole life to her. So how many times have I cheated on her since I've been married? None. So if I can do that with my marriage, why can't I do that with God? Now, you might say, well, God and his rules, they go deeper. You know, they go into the actual intent of the heart, and it becomes very, you know, hard to live every day perfect before the Lord and will sin in many ways. And that's true, and that may happen, that it does go a lot deeper than me just not breaking my marriage vows. But God wants us in every one of those areas to take it as serious as he takes what we do in marriage. 
So I should look at if I'm lusting towards someone I'm not married to, I should take that as cheating on God, that I shouldn't ever give myself permission to lust in my heart towards someone I'm not married to because God's going to judge that. Do you guys get that? I shouldn't look at my anger and go, well, you know what? At least I don't fight anymore. At least I don't beat up people anymore. At least I don't have outbursts of anger where I curse out people anymore. So it's okay if I every now and then sin in my anger. No, God is going to judge that. You see, those are the kinds of things a Christian takes serious. And our friends don't really know about it. That's why when we had Easter service last week, oftentimes in those, those gatherings, I, and I did it last week, is I like to remind people, you're going to be judged by a standard you're not ready for. Most Americans are not ready to face the standard of judgment. In their mind, they think they're going to be judged on a scale, on a scale compared to everybody around them. As long as they're above the average of the class, they're passing. That is not how it's going. On Judgment Day, the Bible says every idle word will even be brought up. That's why we have to be careful with our words. The Bible says when words are many, sin is present. We should guard our words, even the Bible says. The Bible talks about that all the deeds that we, do, we have done will be then tested. In other words, even this, as a noble act, me preaching to you today, will be tested with fire in front of all of you. When we are being judged, I believe we'll watch each other being judged. I believe time will no longer be an issue. You won't be in a hurry to go anywhere because this is where you belong. You belong in God's kingdom, and part of the kingdom is watching everyone get judged. So there's a part of us that's actually not nosy or into gossip or anything like that or messy when we like to watch Judge Judy. That's actually a part of your God nature inside of you. God made you that way. Well, you tell him, Judge Judy. I want to see what happens over here, you know. I don't know if you're, no, you guys looking at me crazy. If you're like me getting your car work done and all of a sudden you're watching it, you know, and you're like, okay, I'm into this now. That's actually a part of our God nature. We want to see what happened. And some of you are into crime shows and all of that, not because you're sadistic. Some people tell me they listen to these crime uh, podcasts. It's not because you're sadistic. It's because you want to figure it out. You want justice to be done, in other words. That's part of how God made us. So just think about this. On Judgment Day, Joe's 10,421st sermon will now be tested. What is today, April 25th, 26th? 24th, there we go. On April 24th, angels bring out that sermon, you know, and it will be brought out like a work. It will be brought out like an art piece or something, and then it, you can see in it. There will be precious parts in it. There will be parts made of sticks, st- uh, uh, sticks and hay and stubble, the Bible says, and then God's going to say, put it on the altar, angels. Set it on fire with my, my presence, and then what, what's left is what Joe gets a reward for. See, if I was here today and I had a bad attitude, I, I came only because I had to, or I was preaching because I wanted you to like me, the rest of that stuff is going to get burned up. And maybe some of my sermons will get all burned up. There'll be nothing left. And then at the end of all of those sermons, whatever gold is there will be fashioned into a part of my crown. Do you see that as a reality, friends? You're going to be judged. Christians will even be judged. Now, we get to go to heaven based on the grace of God that we've accepted Jesus, that our judgment isn't on heaven and hell. The sinner needs to understand the heaven and hell aspect first, and then they need to understand the aspect that they're going to be judged. As a Christian, the Bible says that some people, after all of the judgments, all of their life, all of their parenting, all of them going uh, to church, all of that, nothing will be left. Only they will be saved. The Bible says they'll come in just escaping by the skin of their teeth. That's how they'll get in. 
Others of us will have great rewards. And it could be even the ones we, we least expect. Maybe somebody like our precious Deacon Rosa here will have great rewards for what she did as a Christian. But then pastor has un poquito rewards. <laughs> Because pastor just got mad at everybody, wanted to tell them, you know, maybe these God forbid things happen in my life. And here I got just a little bullion cube of gold and our sister has to call over Gabriel. Gabriel, bring over the truck. I got so much gold I need to put into my mansion. Boop, boop, boop. Here comes Gabriel with the crane. Lower it down, Gabriel. And then Rosa's going to her mansion. And then here's the pastor with a little bullion cube, just a little thing, you know. And the Bible says this is going to matter because we're going to be in the new earth. We're going to be with God in the new earth longer than we've ever been here. That's time without end. What you have on that time is what you'll carry for eternity. And the Bible says those rewards will be what give God glory. So in other words, when we come to worship Jesus in Jerusalem and we come to honor God, because everybody says thy kingdom come, thy will be done. They have no idea how this ends. Read the book of Revelation. We're back here. We're worshiping God. We're living forever in his presence. You weren't meant to be an ethereal, naked Casper the ghost type angel or a baby with wings that's naked. Are you guys listening to me? You were meant to live here like Adam and Eve. So that's what we get, right? So we're living in our mansions. We're, we're ruling and reigning with Christ. Now we come to worship God. And imagine the preacher, he comes to worship God in Jerusalem and he just, you know, he puts his little bullion cube, his little cube, you know, right before the Lord. Of course, God honors it. God's thankful that he's there. But then here comes Rosa. Come on, angels, I'm going to go worship Jesus in Jerusalem, you know? Bring that, bring that heavenly treasure over because the Bible says, crown him with many crowns. Where do you think those crowns are coming from? They're coming from our lives. And we're giving them back to him as rewards and saying, to you be the glory. You're worthy, Jesus. It was because of you. It was because of you, Jesus. And so we have to really take serious what's going on in this world because right now, if we're not careful, we'll be deceived by the temporariness of this world and exchange, and exchange our eternal blessings. I'm reminded of in the Bible of Jacob and Esau. Esau was the, the firstborn from Isaac, and he was given the, 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 the blessing and the promise of the inheritance. That's how they were passed down back then, the wealth to the oldest child. And one day Esau was just, you know, hungry. He hadn't, you know, brought enough food on his hunting journey and maybe didn't catch anything. And he sees his brother Jacob cooking some stew. And he says to his brother, man, give me some of that food. I'm hungry. And then Jacob, who's also known as being a, a schemer, he says to his brother, hey, give me your birthright. Give me your birthright, and I'll give you some food. And you know what this Oompa Loompa does? He gives him his birthright for a bowl of beans. He literally traded his entire birthright, the inheritance of his family, for some frijoles. Some beans, arroz con candule, some beans and rice maybe. God have mercy. And it's put there as an example. The New Testament brings it up and says, hey, don't be like Esau. Don't be like Esau who traded his entire inheritance for a moment of temporary pleasure. That man could have waited a few more minutes to get home, make his own soup. But he gave up everything he had. What do you think it's like right now for Christians? I'm not talking non-Christians. I'm talking the Christians that are in heaven, that are there right now. How many of them do you think are getting what we're talking about right now? And they're saying, oh, Dios mío, I wish I would have done something with my life. Oh, what did I do when I was on earth? 
And I'm not just talking about going to church all the time. Those are the religious things we get rewarded for. No, you're going to be blessed for what you did on your job. Did you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness on your job? Well, then you'll have rewards. There will be people in heaven that will have greater rewards for what they did on their secular job than there will be for the ministers who did what they did in their sacred job. In other words, if my father-in-law, who was a janitor, he worked at Brock's factory until it closed down, and then was a janitor in elementary schools, if every day he came to that place and said, I do this for the glory of God, I'm seeking first God's kingdom here, I want to do this for the Lord, all the money that I make belongs to Jesus, I joyfully give back the portions he tells me to do, I serve him here, I'm a witness here, I do all things unto him, he'll have more rewards than pastors who filled up stadiums if they did it for their own vain glory. Can I hear an amen? That's the judgment of God. The judgment of God makes it right. And many of our non-Christian friends, they don't even understand that they're going to hell because they think they're going to get compared to somebody else on judgment day. Well, as long as I'm better than Hitler, I didn't kill anybody. I didn't murder anybody. I'll be fine. No, you're going to be compared to Jesus Christ. The scale, the person on the other side of the scale is not Hitler. It's Jesus Hence the reason you better hop on over to his side and get saved. But if you think you're going to go to judgment day without being a Christ follower, you're going to face the Father on judgment day without receiving the blood of Jesus, the the blood of Jesus will speak against you. It will actually be that which condemns you. It will show you all of your imperfections because Jesus never took the name of the Lord in vain. Jesus never disobeyed his parents. Jesus did everything as unto others as he wanted done unto himself. That blood that he shed will be a great sacrifice that now will become your judgment because you live for yourself and he died for you. Then in other words, the cross will condemn those who reject it as much as it will save those who accept it. What are you doing with the cross, accepting or rejecting? How many are accepting the cross today? Otherwise, it will stand in judgment, will it not? I mean, think about it. Have you ever just been around somebody who didn't have to say much, but just their very Christian-like life kind of made you feel like you weren't doing the right thing when you were doing things you shouldn't have did? Like, you know, being around somebody, did their light convict you? I remember being around some of my professors and losing my temper in certain ways and then remaining calm, and I'm like, man, this convicts me. I need to be more like them. I remember seeing people in my Christian life do things that I didn't do, and I was convicted by it. How much more so when you stand next to Jesus and you realize what he did and you didn't do it? So now you know why we need Jesus. That's why we need him. It's out of his love. But I want to show you now to put it into your everyday life. Are you ready? Knowing the terror of the Lord. Let's go there. Acts chapter 24, verse 24. If you're there, somebody say, I'm there. Thank you. Listen to Paul. Paul here is arrested, and he's in prison, but he's coming out to speak to these officials. Listen to the the narrator, uh, Luke, and how he describes his interaction with them. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Christ Jesus. What was he speaking about? Faith in Christ Jesus. Faith in Jesus, right? So he's talking about believing in Jesus. But it doesn't end there. Keep going. Verse 25. As Paul talked about what? Righteousness. What else? Self-control. And what? The judgment to come. Felix was afraid. (laughs) That's when you know you did your preaching right. The, The leader got afraid. Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. 
Okay, you may leave. When I find it convenient, then I'll send for you. You see, that's what happens when you preach the real gospel. You see, the reason why Oprah doesn't cut the show off when T.D. Jakes is there or Carl Lentz is there and all these others is because she doesn't hear about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment. She can sit there and talk to them all day long. Get a real Christian to be on Oprah's show, and she'll say, Cut. Whoa. We're not talking about this. Hey, man, you can't call the homosexuality sin. Not on my show. Get off my show. That's that's the real truth going to be there. You understand what I'm saying? See, they entertain. The world entertains Christians. And the, and the Christians want to be entertained. The Christians don't want to be as Paul was anymore. They want to be accepted by the world. Well, you know what, Felix, he's not really into the Jewish stuff. His wife is, but he's not. So, Paul, when you go talk to him, make sure you ease up on these things that we take serious. Why don't you start with the love of God? So Paul went and talked to Felix about the love of God, the grace of God, the sweet kisses and tickles of God. He read to him Psalm 23. Is that what it says Paul did? No, it says, Paul, talk to him about what? Say those three things again, please. Righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. How, do you, how many of you know, within a few moments, you preach that to anybody, if they're not wanting Jesus, they're going to start to get upset. They're not going to want to listen to you very long. You start talking about righteousness, right living. This is how we live right. Well, nobody's perfect. It doesn't matter. You're supposed to have self-control. Well, you know what? I, I, I don't think it's your place to judge. I'm not your judge. Jesus is your judge, and he's going to know every thought. He's going to know every word, and everything in dark closets and darkness is going to be exposed with the light. You ready for that? You see, that's real preaching. Now, you may not have the same voice or the same, you know, personality that I have. We don't even know what Paul's personality was, but we are to be like this. Sometimes we, we come to churches like this and we think, man, if I'm not preaching with the mic behind the, you know, the, you know, the pulpit here on the stage, that that's, that's not really preaching. No, Paul might have been a, a quiet person. It actually says that he was defending himself against people making fun of him. And one of the things he had to defend was is that in person he was soft-spoken. He says, you think me being soft-spoken means I'm not like these false apostles, But he said, I do that because I love you. So Paul may not even have been a loud, bold preacher as we think. His boldness might have just came in a different form of a personality. Wouldn't that be something? We think of Paul being the loudest of the bunch. What if Paul just would have been a guy that walked around and just said, hey, Felix, how you doing? You doing good? I just want to tell you, God's going to judge you. God's going to judge what you do here. You got to be righteous. Hey, has your wife told you? That part of being righteous is not having idols? You have idols, don't you, Felix? God calls you an idolater, Felix. And if you say you can't help it, you're a liar. You lack self-control. There's no shouting there, but how many know that would put the fear of God in you? See, it's not a loud thing. It's not a decibel thing. It's not just an American culture. I thank God for American preaching. I thank God that we have a passion here. And by the way, that's where a lot of it spread across the world into the different cultures. It started with the African Americans and the various cultures that were in early Pentecostalism. That's why our music is mostly gospel. That's why a lot of our swag comes from the African American culture. It's because our founders, most of them were African American at the beginning. We own that. That's beautiful. But that's not necessarily how it has to be done. You could be sitting across from somebody at at your coffee table and just simply say, Barb, Barb, I've been noticing lately that you've been having quite a foul mouth. 
Can I tell you about the judgment of God just for a moment? Do you know he's going to judge you on how you take the name of the Lord in, in vain, Barb? Barb, did you know that? Well, Barb, you say you can't help it. Barb, you have self-control, and God's going to judge you one day. Do you have Jesus? Do you know Jesus? If not, Jesus will be the one that casts you into hell, Barb. I used to talk to my mom all the time, and I'd say, do you ever tell Pat about Jesus? And she says, oh, I don't think Pat wants to hear about Jesus. I'm like, tell Pat about Jesus, or I'll tell her. That was her coffee, buddy. But how many know Pat needs Jesus? It didn't matter if my mom yelled it, shouted it, and then did a dance like this. Did you tell Pat about righteousness, self-control, and judgment? How many have a little bit of loudness in them, though? And it can help, right? I can help with the fear of God in you. <laughs> say it a little bit louder then, you know? As we like to say, what, do preach, what is preaching? It's yelling it. What is teaching? It's telling it. I don't know how Paul did it here, but I know it put the fear of God into a king. And I know that everybody in this church needs to have a real reckoning with the fear of God. God will judge you. God will judge me. First judgment, are you a Christian? If you're not a Christian, off to hell you go. You go with the garbage. You go to hell. You get cast into the lake of fire with the devil where there will be never-ending torment. That is not something lightly to us. That's why in our anger we don't say go to hell. How many have had somebody get mad at you and say go to hell? How many know Christians don't do that? Because we don't want you to go to hell. See, they're really the hypocrites. In their anger, they want us to go to hell. But you see, when we preach on the streets, we're preaching with passion so they go to heaven. They give us one finger, we give them two fingers. Can I hear an amen? We don't want them to go to hell. That's why we're preaching. A woman said to me yesterday as I was standing outside of the, in front of the abortion clinic, she said, why don't you just kill yourself? That's what this world says. That's how they talk. They're wicked. They're evil. When they have the opportunity, they'll always go in that direction. That's why I like to take our church to Mardi Gras as often as we can because you'll see what happens when the rules loosen up a little bit. You'll see what happens to the sophisticated. You'll see the same one, get, you'll see the, the doctor getting drunk with the crack addict right there together because sin levels everybody. Sin will make a fool out of everybody. Red and yellow, black and white, they all smell like urine and puke after a while. All the rich, all the poor, they all smell like pee. Are you listening to me? That's what sin does to you. It degrades you. It brings down a nation. It makes the nation go into hell, the Bible says. It literally says in the King James, find us a scripture, Rudy. The nation that forgets God will be turned into hell. It's King James. God will judge us. And so that's why, if you want to know as a pastor, when you bring people on Easter, it's not that I'm not happy to see your friends, your family. It's not that I'm trying to be rude to them. I gave an example last week, uh, you know, about my friend who was a Sox fan, came to the Cubs uh, World Series when we hosted it here in his Sox jersey, you know, just to be um, a, a mean person to the Cubs fan, to actually root against them. That's not what I'm doing. I'm not that kind of jerk. How many know that's a jerk who does something like that? You know, let me explain it a little bit better. We put the World Series here for the Cubs so people could watch, and one of the members of the church came wearing a Sox uniform to cheer against the Cubs. Let me make that clear. How many know you have to be a jerk to do something like that? Your team's not even in the, the, the World Series, and you want to come just to do that. That's the sign you're an idiot. It is. You're an idiot if you have to think about yourself when yourself is not involved in the equation. The Sox are not that. I don't want to talk about sports. If you don't think he's an idiot, I do. And I got the mic. I'm not that guy. I'm not the one 
who is coming to you on Easter, ruining your Easter plans. Because I'm telling your friends and family, many of them are going to hell. I'm not doing that because I want to look like I need the attention. Here's Joe, the pastor on Easter. He doesn't have enough attention. I'm going to bring my friends and family, and Joe's going to bring all the attention to him and offend everybody. This is why I don't do many weddings anymore. You don't want me doing your wedding because I don't preach according to your ceremony. I don't preach on demand. I'm not your puppet. And people kept getting offended with me, seriously. So we told them, here is the rider. <laughs> we don't charge. Riders are normally what you have to pay a speaker to, to, to come and do your event. Even conservative speakers, Ben Shapiro charges $100,000. I'm giving you something worth more than him for free today. Are you listening to me? But you know what my rider says? If I come to your wedding, I preach whatever I want. You don't want me to do it there, then don't have me there. Because I don't preach for your feelings. Your wedding is not my time to tap dance for you. Your wedding, if you want me to preach, is for the word of God. That's it. And I don't mean that sassy. I, I just, I'm just telling you, that's what I do. I come and preach. You don't want a preacher, get somebody else. And we offer, we have leaders in this church that are not preachers like that. They're not less than me. I don't think they're less spiritual. Pastor Berto and Griselda, they do not carry that same burden and anointing. They'll listen to your needs. They'll preach what they sense that will help you in that way. That's not my, that's not my calling. My calling is different. When I grab this mic and touch this word of God, we don't know what's coming next. And I say we, and I mean it. I don't, this is, these are my notes. You want to see the notes from this sermon? This, these are the notes. Have I said a lot more than this? This, this is what's coming. Now, does that mean I'm not held accountable? You better hold me to every word accountable. And you could talk to me afterwards. Well, pastor, you said this. I'm not sure about this. We'll, we'll go back and do a Bible study. We'll go back and look at Proverbs. If a person who wears that team like that falls into the category of a fool according to Proverbs, we'll do that. But I'm not here to tap dance for you. I'm going to give you the word of God. This past week, I was supposed to speak at a pro-life movement. It was scheduled months in advance. The guy sent me the address, and it was to a Catholic church. And then he said, at the Catholic church, there's also going to be priests. He said, hey, man, we're meeting at St. Mary's. The, the priests of the brotherhood or whatever are going to be there, and you'll, you'll have 10 minutes. I said, to, out of respect for him, out of respect for him, because I don't need, like I said, the attention. I said, out of respect for you, my friend, I want to let you know, I cannot speak in a Catholic church with priest's presence and not rebuke the Catholic church. If you would like to have another speaker, that's okay. I don't take it personal. But I will not be a hypocrite and preach against Roman Catholicism here. And then now in front of Tom, Father Tom and his church, I'm as quiet as a church mouse. The first thing I would want to say to them is, I love you. Hold on because it's going to get bumpy, but we'll be all right here. Because I'm going to start teaching you the truth. And if they want to hear it, that's up to them. But at least at the end of the day, this is what I would think that they would say. And the man didn't want me to come. And he says he agrees with me, but I think he deals with some cowardiceness. Or that's just something that's between him and the Lord. But it feels cowardly to me. Because here's what I would hope the priest would at least say at the end of the day. Well, now I know what he thinks. Now I know what they believe the word of God says. Because I wonder how many people have been around those priests and no one has really told them what we believe about them. That we believe their church has taken so many wrong turns, they're the whore of Babylon in Revelation. That we believe that they're a part of an apostate movement that promotes idolatry, and that's why they have so much sin that's being hidden from the Pope all the way down to the local bishops. I would at least hope they would say, hey man, this guy cared about me. This guy told me, uh, you can, uh, we'll, we'll come to this one, don't let me forget about the nation being turned to hell, but go back to the, the passage in Acts. I would hope that at least they would say, this pastor talked to me, this pastor told me about righteousness, self-control, and about what? 
You don't need the karaoke screen. You're listening today. What did Paul preach to them about? He talked about the judgment. He's starting with the, at the beginning. He talked about righteousness, self-control, and what else? Judgment. Thank you. Now let's go back to the nation that forgets God will be turned to hell. I'm not the person that's a contrarian. I had a friend one time in Bible college. He said, Joe, you must like to argue. Ask my wife if I like to argue. People who don't know me think that. People who don't know people like me think we do this because it's part of our personality traits. This is really not part of my personality trait. I would say uh, being bold about things would be a part of my personality. I would say being confrontational, I can go there just naturally, but not arguing. Arguing wears me out. Arguing takes away from my mental stamina. I actually don't prefer to argue with people. If you and I were to sit down, I would prefer we would agree than not agree. Uh, Yeah, then disagree. I would rather us have an enjoyable conversation than me debate with you. But if we debate with you, more than likely you're going to lose. (laughs) If I debate with you, more than likely you're going to lose. Most people's minds, I'm just being honest with you, it's a gift from God. Most people's minds don't think as fast as mine. Most cannot recall scripture as fast as I can, and they don't have the background knowledge. That's why when you listen to a good debater, you're sitting there like it's a water hose. You're like, what just happened? And I recognize it in others. When I watch a person debate that knows what they're doing, they wipe the floor with somebody before the person even knows what happens. I'm being honest with you. When we do the videos with people, sometimes I tell them, you just want to stop now. Trust me. You want to, and they say, no, I want to keep going. And they get defeated over and over and over again. And then people share these videos of me debating people, and they're just like, oh, it's so amazing. Joe rocked this person. And I understand the thought behind it, but I'm telling you, that's not my joy. My joy is not to embarrass somebody, to turn their logic against themselves, to defeat their premises, and to show them their folly. That's not what I get passion over. What I get passion over is teaching the humble, the childlike in heart, those that are quiet and quick to listen and learn. That's why if you notice in my life, who I draw to me and keep around me the longest are those personalities that I find most beneficial. You look at my wife. My wife is the opposite of me. She's the nicest person, the quietest person. This person draws me to her. The elders and leaders of our church, very few have my kind of personality. It's okay if you do. We welcome you. We do have some in the church that are like that. But I'm just saying, take it from me. And I'm going to say this word correctly so it's PG. I'm a master debater. But that doesn't mean I like to debate. Does everybody get that? Teenagers laughing. It's okay. I won't repeat that phrase again. Because I'm not here, maybe just one more time, to be a master debater. That's not why we're here. I'm here to do my best to convince you of the scriptures if you're willing to hear it. When I had preached one time in my hometown, there was a friend from high school. We used to do drugs together, party together. And he had came. He was one of the only ones that's ever come to my uh, services. And at the end of the service, he came up to me almost like in shock, like he had saw a ghost. He said, I have never heard any preaching like that before. I mean, imagine this. You've never really been to a church like this, and this is your first time to a church like this. Here I am. You know, this is, this is your introduction to Christianity. He had maybe only been to a Lutheran church. He came to me white-faced. I'm being honest. And he said, I've never heard any preaching like that. I said, what was it like for you? How did you experience it? He said, I understood everything you said, and I was offended almost at everything you said. (laughs) That's literally what he told me. He said, when I go here other places and people speak, I don't know what they're talking about half the time. And I'll just be honest with you. I've gone to Catholic masses. I understand a little bit about Latin. I understand the scriptures they're reading from, and I don't know what they're talking about half the time. I don't. I honestly do not know what they are talking about. 
they mumble, they're not very clear. Then when they give the homily, it's pretty much a feel-good little homily. They read the gospel. I honestly don't know what they talk about. But I remember when I first got saved, I would sit in a pew just like you are right now. And I would hear these preachers preach like how I'm trying to do today. And I would be weeping in my chairs, in my chair when I would sense the presence of God. Other times I would be shouting. I would say, that's what I want because they were speaking right to me. How many know a preacher can speak to the heart by the power of the Holy Spirit? And when I tell you this, I want you to hear this from the Holy Spirit. The wicked shall be turned into hell. Is there anything unclear about that? I mean, does anybody not understand that? The wicked shall be turned into hell. You talk about transformers going from a nice little car, and these are some of the things that people like because I give them examples they can relate to. Some people laugh at these examples, but they keep you involved, right? Anybody ever seen transformers? More than meets the eye. Oh, oh, Transformers, that's, that's a truck. That's a truck. No. Who is the truck? Who is he going to turn into? Optimus Prime. Guess what the Bible says? You forget God, you're not turning into a truck. You're being turned into hell. That's what the Bible says. So what don't people understand about that? If I believe this, don't I need to tell the wicked this? But this offends the modern Christian mind. Well, Joe, we don't do that at Easter. The first thing, Joe, we don't do at Easter is call people wicked, okay? And this is another gift, and please pray I never lose it because I didn't always have it, and that's called being self-aware. How many know self-awareness is a great attribute to have in yourself and others? How many find it to be just absolutely annoying when you're around somebody who is not self-aware? I don't care if they're Christian or not. I generally can get around, uh, I can get along with somebody better that's self-aware even if they're a non-Christian than a Christian who's not self-aware. They'll tell me about four dreams, four things, pin me against the wall, I can't leave, and I gotta keep nodding my head to get these people to get done with their stories. A self-aware person will understand. Pastor, thank you for your time. I'll tell you my other 243 dreams next time we hang out. A self-aware person understands that. Are you guys listening to me? How many are glad for self-awareness? Okay. I'm a self-aware pastor. You need to be self-aware when you're talking to your friends. Like my mom talking to her friend Pat. I know that when you read that verse, that's going to set people off. When, when my, my mom, if she read this to Pat and said, Pat, I just want to tell you, Pat, a scripture that the Lord gave me. Oh, is it one of those that says we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? No, Pat, not reading you that one. Is it going to be Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd? No, Pat, not going to read you that one. But, Pat, I'm going to read you one that's just as important. Here it is. The wicked, and that's you, Pat, shall be turned into hell. Pat, I say that to you because I love you. And Pat, you need to repent because I hang out with you enough, Pat, to know you got a long list of sins. And you're, by definition, wicked. And you are not just going to hell. Listen to this, Pat. You're not just going to a place over yonder, down under the earth, that place called hell. Pat, your soul is going to be turned into hell. You will be a part of hell. Repent, and I'll show you how. Call on Jesus. Make him the Lord of your life. He died on the cross for you, and he'll change you right now. How many know Pat now knows what my mom thinks 
about her. Now it's up to Pat if they go out and have coffee time again. Come on, somebody. Say amen or oh me or oh my. Say something. Come on. We have to believe that people are worth it. They're worth it. As I said before, I'm not telling Pat, Pat, you go to hell, you wicked sinner, Pat. Pat, you're just a wicked, evil sinner, and I want you to burn. You're going to burn, baby. You're going to burn. You're going to burn. Go to hell, Pat. No, that's what the wicked say to us when they're angry with us. That's what they say to us. And it's like, hold on, I didn't even think you believed in hell. Now you want me to go there. Okay, contradict much? We actually believe in hell, and we're trying to stop, stop. We're trying to stop you from going there because you're worth it. But there are other people out there that have a message to share. Go with me to Jeremiah 23.9. And they're a lot more popular right now because they don't want to talk about hell. They don't want to talk about judgment. They don't want to talk about God setting everything right. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 9. And I want you to see how this breaks my heart today because I've known some of my friends to do this. And they started off well with good intentions. They said, man, I just want more people to come. You, you can draw more people with honey than you can vinegar. Come on, let's be nice to people. And that's true. We should never be rude. I don't want to ever take telling somebody the truth as an excuse to be rude. Quick story, just once again, because I want to give you encouragement as it comes to your, your daily life. When I was in cemetery, I mean seminary, I was learning of these things about the Bible. And one of my friends, he was from Germany, and he would come, you know, and take part in our classes over here in Deerfield, uh, Trinity Evangelical Seminary, and we would get to hang out, and it was fun. Well, one day he came and talked to me. He said, why is everybody in the class always so angry with you? And I said, man, uh, I just don't think they, they like what I say. And he goes, but you're the most polite person I've ever met in America. <laughs> Listen, this is what he said to me. He said, because he could speak English well. I wish I could do his German accent, but it will sound Polish. Polish, you're the most nice person I've met. I don't know anyways. Uh, he said, but you're the most polite person. And I go, what do you mean? And he goes, well, when you talk, you raise your hand first. And most of the time, they would just interrupt. It was a small class. When you're in a doctoral setting, it's a small group. You would always raise your hand and say, Professor, can I ask something? You would say, can I? And then, then after the conversation, you would say, thank you. And then if someone else was talking... You would say, please, can I say something? And he said to me as a German, he would hear me say, may I please thank you? And he couldn't understand why they were offended. Well, here was the reason, because I would say, can I share something? I think you guys are lukewarm. Many of you are backslidden in here, and you need to get right with God. Thank you, professor. I just had to share that with everybody. And he was a German person going, you're the most polite person <laughs> Why are they so angry? Because in his mind, in his culture, and I wish I could talk to him more about this, if you're saying something that's the most crazy, and remember, they had Hitler, so I don't know how much this says about him, but if you're saying something with politeness and with respect, you deserve to be heard. And if what you're saying is wrong, then in a respectful conversation, you can be shown that what you're doing is wrong. But he would notice that the others in the class... What are you talking about? They would start yelling at me. 
They would start calling me names. They would interrupt me while I was talking. They would start disrespecting me. And he would look at them going, these are out-of-control Americans. What is wrong with them? Seriously. Have you ever watched Parliament in England? Hear, hear. Somebody stands up and then they go, hear, hear. And then they, they make their points. You see, cultures understand disagreements and debate differently than we do. Watch the Parliament of England in Australia where they have them very in close quarters and they speak with passion against one another, but they do it with their English accents and respect. Dear Prime Minister, and then they'll start saying their thing. You're full of the devil, this, this, and this, and I appreciate the time that I've had. Hear, hear. And then they'll go to the I'm serious. You're thinking, man, you just really insulted this guy, but you called him dear Mr. Prime Minister. And thank you for your time, ladies and gents. Then you hand it off. I'm telling you the truth. I am not trying to be rude. You should not try to be rude to get people to understand our points. This is not about breaking cultural norms just to be a shock jock. Most of what you hear me saying is word for word from the scriptures. When we say God will spit the lukewarm out of his mouth, that's the scriptures. When I say that the church is playing the whore of Babylon, that's out of scripture. That literal phrase, the whore of Babylon, that's out of scripture. When I say the wicked will be turned to hell, that's not a Christian way of cussing you out. You wicked, you're going to be turned to hell. That's not me cussing you out like a Christian because, you know, Christians got their own Christianese way of speaking, right? No, that's the Bible saying it. But here's my concern is that too many people are listening to the wrong voices, and so it's not about me, but I'm using myself as an example because then when they hear me on Easter, they go back with you over the dinner table and they go, oh my goodness, you put up with that every week. I could not listen to that every week. That is just too loud. That is too intense. I think I got called wicked, a sinner. I was called filthy. My church that I go to, you know, a queen of angels was called the whore of Babylon. He said, I'm going to hell. I'm turned into hell. Which one is it? I don't know how you do it. I'm going back over here. And I'm not saying I'm the only preacher that does this. How many listen to good preachers? Amen. If you're looking for some, look, ask us. We'll help you out. David Wilkerson, Steve Hill, many, many good preachers. Vody Balka, many good preachers. Okay? But here's my concern is that this is what we're getting deceived by. Quickly in closing, let me read this for everybody. Jeremiah 23. And can I say this just to let you know about my heart in this? My mother had a word from this passage, and I'll get to it, and I'll show you where, show you where the word is at. Before I was a Christian, that this would be me. So imagine a Christian mother praying for a son on drugs, high school dropout, and God giving her a word about how he'll be a preacher. So when you know the ministry of a man, uh, you know the scripture, you'll know the ministry of, of a man. These are the scriptures I was called by. These are the prophetic words. You know, Paul said, when I gave you that gift, Timothy, spoke these prophetic words over you. So just as a personal note, if you want to know what was prophetically spoken over my life as God was speaking to my mom before I was even a Christian, these were the scriptures. So this is the kind of ministry you're in. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So I don't want anybody being shocked by this. Oh, you mean you're in this kind of a church? This is the kind of person your church is led by. I don't know any other way to be. 
Like I said, one day, uh, Berto may start a, a campus, and you guys can go to Metro Praise Campus with Pastor Berto. But how many know, even though Pastor Berto's so nice, how many know he's still going to say, the wicked will be turned into hell? He may not do it red's face with the rag that came out the bathroom, you know, keeping me, <laughs> keeping me dry up here. But how many know he's going to tell you the same thing? Amen? Concerning the prophets, here's God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. My heart is broken within me. This is Jeremiah speaking the heart of God. This is how God feels. And I believe it's literally looking towards Jesus and, and how Jesus will be when he's upon the earth and he sees all these Jews acting this way. My heart is broken within me. All my bones tremble. I'm like a drunken man, like a strong man overcome by wine because of the Lord and his holy words. So think of the comparison here to a drunken man. It's not a drunken man. It's like, hey, everybody, what's going on? No, no, it's like... You ever seen anybody that's drunk and they get the shakes or they're detoxing? This is what he's saying, man. I am like this, man. I am trembling when I think about these things, the Lord and his holy word, uh, words. The land is full of adulterers. Because of the curse of the land, it lies parched. And the pastures in the wilderness are withered. The prophets follow an evil course. And they use their power unjustly. Both prophet and priest are godless. Even in my temple, I find their wickedness, declares the Lord. Therefore, their path will become slippery. They will be banished to darkness. This is him talking to the priests, the pastors, the leaders, and they will fall. I will bring disaster on them in the year they are punished, declares the Lord. Listen to this. Among the prophets of Samaria, because sometimes people are like, man, you mess with Muslims a lot. I'm just like my Jesus. He messed with the prophets of Samaria. He messed with the prophets of Jerusalem. He said, among the prophets of Samaria, I saw this repulsive thing, this thing that made me sick. They prophesied by Baal and led my people astray. And among the prophets of Jerusalem, this is talking about their people, I have seen something horrible. They commit adultery and live a lie. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that not one of them turns from their wickedness. They are all like Sodom to me. The people of Jerusalem are like Gomorrah. Think about that. He says when the preachers get around the wicked, they actually don't feel like stopping. It's not like when Paul was with Felix, and Felix is like, man, I can't take this anymore, man. I'm afraid. No, when these preachers get around the wicked, they give them rewards. They give them invitations to come back again. They give them all of these plaques and say, oh, we love you guys because you make us feel so good. Let's keep going. I wish I had time to read the whole passage, but go now to the verse uh, 14. Oh, we read 14, go to verse 16, now to 29, and you'll see what the Lord called us to do. And he put this as a specific prophetic word in my life as well. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. As the old saying goes, if you were at the doctor and you were sick, would you want me to tell you what will make you feel good that day or get you better? Imagine you come to the doctor and you have cancer like one of our dear sisters did, but she thought it might just be something small. Imagine her going to the doctor and her saying, okay, doctor, you've checked me out. Uh, it's not cancer, is it? I mean, because that was, that was a crazy thought that I had. I mean, I'm sure I'm okay, but it's not cancer. Imagine the doctor saying, well, I don't want to ruin her day. Nurses, I don't want to ruin her day. Nobody tell her she has cancer. Just tell her she ate something wrong. She goes home, takes some Pepto-Bismol or something, she'll be okay. Is that a good doctor? 
Do you want a doctor to tell you what you want to hear or what you need to hear to get better? How many know that was the most devastating day of her life when they looked back and her mom died of cancer at an early age? She testified that she's now cancer-free in our first service for four years by God's grace. Amen? She testified this morning. How many know, how many know that when she heard, no, it is cancer, it's the worst case scenario, it's everything you possibly feared, that's what it is. How many know that doctor was a good doctor? You don't, you don't get mad at the doctor. The doctor's there to help. I'm talking about good doctors here, okay? You don't get mad at the, well, doctor, how dare you? How dare you tell me? I didn't want to hear that. Doctor, don't you know I'm going to my daughter's birthday party today. I don't want to go there and all oh, sad now thinking about cancer. How dare you ruin my day? Don't you know I'm planning a vacation? I don't want to start doing chemo. How many know that's foolishness? You don't do that. What you do is you look at that doctor and you say, how do we get through this? And a good doctor will say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to fight for you. We're going to get this right. We're going to do everything we can to do it the right way. And at the end of the day, if it's your time, I can't stop it, but I'll do everything I can to stop what's happening here. Let's go. He tells you the hardest thing you want to hear. This is, this is fatal. This is the kind of thing that kills people. But I don't want to speak that over you. We're going to go fight against it right now. Let's go. No one's promised tomorrow anyway. That doctor who's fully healthy could die in a car accident and way home and, out, and, and outlive the cancer patient. Are you listening? Sometimes I've talked to people at funerals. And I go, we don't think we're, when we're next. We could all die on the way home here. Are you listening? And so we don't have to be rude about it, but we need to tell people the truth. Hey, no one gets out of here alive. This thing called life on planet Earth, no one gets out of here alive. And can I be honest with you? After this, you face judgment. That's what the Bible says. After this, judgment. That's what happens. So what do you want me to tell you? Do you want me to build up false hopes? You're going to see your grandma up there. You're going to be able to do whatever you want. You like fishing? You're going to be able to fish up there. No, I need to tell you, you're going to be judged up there. The fishing trip comes for the holy people of God. Are you holy? Are you born again? Are you ready to face judgment? Otherwise, I'm filling you with false hopes. Keep going. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. Vinny, would you come, please? I'm just saying this because I love you. I've listened to many, many popular preachers, and when I listen to them as a pastor who studies the Word, I honestly say to myself, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I, I don't have anything in sermon illustrations and plays, but some of my friends and these preachers, you know, everything's a sermon illustration. Everything's, we're going to build this up here and do this up here. My one friend got so convicted, he was following the trends of the movie. Sometimes you'll see this. And I'm not here once again to judge them in a harsh way. I just want to be honest. I think it waters it down a lot. But my one friend was the kind of pastor that was doing summer at the movies. So everything that was on the movie theater, he would do. Now, I use examples. That's okay. But he would do the entire set. So the Wizard of Oz was being relaunched. And I don't know when that was, but it was like 10 years ago or something. And he had put about $20,000 into rebuilding the Wizard of Oz set on his church. And it was all going to turn towards the gospel. I mean, it's pretty creative how they do it. But he had been doing this with all the movies before, you know. And he wrote a book called Clear the Stage. God convicted him and said, what are you doing? When Jesus preached, this was it. Jesus didn't say, now, Peter, I want you to dress up like Moses. 
And then you come down with these two rocks and pretend to get the commands and smash them on the ground. I do believe we need to have godly entertainment and put Disney out of business. But I just want to say that's not the power of the gospel is how well the acting is done. Okay? Jesus would just talk to people. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You know, he would explain things to them. And people would go, yeah, I get it. And they would choose to live for him or not. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says you will have peace. Hey, man, everything's going to go good with you. It's going to be all right. I, I, I think you're okay. They asked the Pope. You can listen to it. A girl asked the Pope the question. My dad was an atheist. But he used to bring me to church all the time. Google Pope with girl and atheist. Pope, girl, atheist. See if you can find it. And my dad was an atheist, and he brought me to church all the time. And he's died now. Where is he at? This should have been the Pope's answer. Without Christ, he's in hell. If he had Christ and he repented, he's in heaven. We don't know what his last moments were like. But those are the destinations for everybody, sweet girl. Do you have Christ? Can I lead you to Christ right now? Can you confess him as your Lord? That, that should have been his answer. But he mumbled off something like the Pope does. For some reason, all the Popes mumble. Is it just me or are they mumbling all the time? It's like, why are you guys always mumbling? They get them so old, they're always about ready to die too, you know? And then they mumble. No offense. I'm not even trying to be rude. I'm just saying I don't even understand. I have to, I'm always speaking in another language that the people even don't speak. It's okay if you speak different languages, but at least have an interpreter or something to help people out, right? You know? And then they just, he mumbled something. Oh, I think he's in heaven. Why? Because he wants to speak peace. He doesn't want to ruin everybody's day. He's the Pope. You came to have a good day seeing the Pope, right? You don't want to see the Pope tell a little girl her dad's in hell. What kind of idiot's going to do that? You're not smart if you want to talk about hell now. I mean, of course you're not going to bring up hell. Tell, him how, you know, tell her how sweet she is and then say she's, he's in heaven. The Bible says they speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of God. They say to those who hate God, the peace, the, you know, the, the, there'll be peace with you. No, the Bible says there's no rest for the wicked, and the wicked will be turned into hell forever in torment. And to all who follow the stubbornness of their own heart, they say, these false prophets, no harm will come to you. That's what they say, no harm will come to you. That's why right now I want to be 100% honest with you. I'm not the only one, but I'm one of the only ones. You can find 10 other churches on this block that will tell you something different next week. You'll probably never hear him say hell. You'll never hear him say judgment. You'll never hear him talk about the wicked. And I'm telling you what, they're going to be judged for this one day because they're not talking about the harm coming to many people. And he says in verse 18, but which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or hear his word? Who has listened to hear his word? See, the storm of the Lord will burst out in wrath, a whirlwind swirling down on the heads of the wicked. Isn't that a lot different than what the others are saying? And then what does he say here? Verse 21, we can't read it all. But go to verse 21, please. He says, I did not send these prophets, yet they run with their message. I did not speak to them, yet they have prophesied. Keep going now to verses 26 and onward. Look at 26 here. How long will this continue in the hearts of these lying prophets who prophesied the delusions of their own minds? I think it was last week. 
I said, if you think St. Anthony can hear you, you are deluded. And people look back at me and they go, that's so rude. I mean, just leave him alone, Pastor. I mean, what is St. Anthony doing to you? I always like to say, like the Italians say, hey, St. Anthony, St. Anthony. You know, what did, what did St. Anthony ever do to you? You know, put him right there. Or what's the one that you put on the car to help you drive safely? Any good Catholics in here? Who's the one, who's, who's the one that keeps you safe? St. Anthony helps you find your lost keys. And then I say, you're deluded. You're de I use that word, and people go, oh, my God. Oh. Stop it, stop it. Caca mouth. He called us, he called us deluded. It's just not the scriptures. These people make up things. They literally took a piece of rock or a piece of wood from the ground and carved it into something and now have you kissing it. They have you, come on, brothers and sisters. They have our dear loved ones going to water stains on a bridge. Remember when that was a thing? Water stains on a bridge, praying. That breaks my heart. That is delusions. Those, come on. The atheists have arguments against us when we act like that. They have reasons to mock us. Hey, I found an image of Mick Jagger on my toast. Because you can see anything in a cloud or in burnt toast. Are you listening? I see an image of a dog in the clouds. Do I pray to the dog now? God is speaking to me. That old, old Sparky's in heaven now. I'm glad you made it home, Sparky. I saw on the anniversary of your death, I saw a picture of you in the clouds. No, you are deluded. You're deluded. You're seeing what you want to see. It's, it's sad, but we have to tell people these are the delusions of your mind. This is why people become superstitious, throwing salt over their shoulder, not walking under a ladder, not stepping on a, a crack unless it breaks somebody's back. And we all have them in our cultures. The chupacabra I've heard about already. People have told me their parents use the chupacabra to get them to be obedient. The boogeyman for us, you know, the, the, the gringos. All of these cultural things. And they're delusions. And when people think this is true and then you tell them this is not true, you tell them that if you're seeing grandmother, you're seeing a demon deluding you. Because the same ones that want you to believe that they're seeing grandma next week are going to tell you they're seeing aliens. And they are both spiritual delusions. I don't think that people are uh, making all of that up. I think people are seeing spiritual beings. How many people believe that? How many know we go from winter to allergy season? Can you get me some, uh, some things here? I don't have COVID, but I do have allergies. Can I blow my nose real quick and go back to preaching? Come on. They preach delusions. I remember one time putting up scriptures like this without Bible verses, and people got mad at me. Why are you spreading so much hate? I said, I'm quoting the scriptures to you. Seriously. I put up one time where it says, those who don't take advice are stupid, and they thought I was making it up. That's actually a scripture. Do you understand? That's a scripture. Can you show it to them, please? I believe it's Proverbs 17.1. 12-1, thank you. Some of the youth pastor got it memorized. Or this is you? Oh, God bless you. I thought the youth pastor had it memorized. He's like, this is the Bible verse I want on the Elevate shirt. All young people, hear this. 12-1, good sir. Thank you. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. Whoever hates correction is what? Stupid. Put that on your Facebook today. Whoever hates correction is stupid and watch people freak out. 
hate speech, hate speech. I quoted the Bible. I'm telling you what the Bible said. Going back to Jeremiah, please, in closing. I know I'm going long, but thank you for your patience. He says, man, they're stealing their dreams from each other. That's why they all sound alike. I love hearing men of God as they get unique words. Like when you come here, it's like unique. You know, it's like, it's like Pastor Joe, he's got his own thing, you know, like a little swag. And then you go listen to this when they got their thing. It's because I'm not biting off somebody else's style. But you hear these guys or these preachers, these women and men, they all sound the same. They all have the same rhythm. They all have the same dress. They're, they're all promoting a worldview of their version of Christianity. It's not unique. It's being borrowed one from another. So it says they steal these things from each other. Now here's the, the prophetic word the Lord gave me, and I want to speak it over you today as a congregation. Verse 28 of, of Jeremiah 23. Let the prophet who has a dream recount the dream. But let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. For what has straw to do with grain, declares the Lord. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. So first and foremost, I want to speak to all the visitors and people who are new to the church. This may not settle right with you at first, and I'm okay with that. But keep studying the scriptures to see if what's really getting broke off you is that which has been hindering you. That your idea of Christianity has actually turned into Niceanity. It's not Christ-centered anymore. Let this resonate with you as you go back to the scriptures because I'm not here to shock you into Christianity. Sometimes they say the old preachers used to make hell so hot everybody wanted to go to heaven and it wasn't because of Jesus. It's because they didn't want to burn, you know? I better go to heaven because I don't want to go to hell. How many are going to heaven because of Jesus, not just to avoid hell? We actually love Jesus, amen? But there is a hell, we're avoiding it, but I'm not going to heaven because I'm scared of hell. I'm going to heaven because Jesus is worth it. So I just want to encourage the visitors here, keep studying. Go back and look at those scriptures. Some of those things that probably bother you the most are actually the things God is trying to convict you of. It's just like as if you had a trainer and you don't want to go to the gym very much right now because you got to look that trainer in the eye and go, <laughs> uh, my January resolutions are not working right now. I told my wife, diet starts Monday. How many times have I said that? <laughs> Lord, help me. I'm going for my six-pack for the summer, guys. No, but I really want to this time. Pray for me. But it's the same way with the church that preaches like this. Well, man, I don't know if I want to come back because it convicts me. That's a good thing. The place that lets you stay where you're at really doesn't love you. The trainer that likes to see you fat and doing all that, and I used to be fat too, and God loves us, there's just more to love, amen? The person that doesn't say anything, that, that person doesn't love you. I'm not talking about being rude, you're a little fatty. No, but I love my wife. She was like, you might want to start losing weight now. Because I told her, I got it, I got it. I got up to almost 300 pounds. Yeah, you got it all right. You got the wrong thing. You got the tacos, you got the pizza. And she started losing weight first. And she was just a little bit of love, a little bit of nudge. And that truth began to come out. And I lost almost 80 pounds, praise God. And I want to keep losing. Amen. And listen, we're not here to make you feel bad for the sake of manipulating your emotions. But if you're convicted as a visitor, we're going to have prayer workers up here in just a little bit. Would you come and let them pray for you? Even if you got to start with the prayer of, 
Help me to understand this more because I'm intrigued. I want to study. This is something I got to look into. Okay, let's start there. If you're already convicted, let's start confessing your sins. And you can do that on your own. These are just helpers. Ask God to forgive you. Say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Change my life. And then for the rest of us, can we leave out of here in our minds and in our hearts ready to do this with others? I gave you as many examples as I could from my own personal life, but now I pray you apply it to your life. I pray that you see the pats of your coffee breaks at, at your job or your cousins or the people you, you know, share family meals with are going to see this summer at barbecues. I pray that you're thinking about how to reach your neighbors because that's the way we preach to them and encourage them. And here's my last example in closing. It's not mine. It comes from Ray Comfort. Because imagine if all you did is only accent the love of God. That's only what you talked about. It's just, hey, Jesus loves you, neighbor. And that's great because that can help people through tough times. But is that really giving them the full gospel? It's really not. And here's what Ray Comfort said. Imagine being on a plane and you see somebody sitting there with a parachute on. At first, it's going to be odd and you're going to ask them, what's up? And if they tell you, I just love parachutes. I love the way they make me feel. I love having them on. I just feel so secure. That's going to make you think about that person a little bit strange, a little bit weird and odd, but you're going to say good for them, right? Like, you love parachutes. You have a parachute on. I get it. That's, that's what you have. No problem. You know, go about your daily business. How about if that person said back to you, well, the reason why I have a parachute on is because I know at about 30,000 feet that engine is going to go out and this entire thing is going to crash and burn. When that happens, I'm jumping out that door with this parachute and surviving. How many now, that would be strange and crazy to you to call the police, right? But follow the example here. How many know in that example, what you're saying is, can I get one too? How many know, now know you're motivated to have the parachute? When they just talked about how much they love the parachute, when they talked about how much they felt good with the parachute, that really didn't motivate you to want to have a parachute. Because you might look at it and be like, well, you're kind of uncomfortable in my opinion. I mean, you're kind of slouched over and parachute's kind of big. Looks like it's straining the arms a little bit, the shoulders. I don't know. I mean, you like it, but I don't think I would like it that much. You see, now it's a matter of preference and feeling. But when the person says, I love this parachute, not just because how it feels, but because how I know it will save me, it changes the way you look at it. See, I don't want my neighbor just to see me loving Jesus every day because I used to do drugs and I was a bad person and now Jesus hugged me and I love hugging Jesus and I just love hanging out with my best friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. Bum, 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 bum. Jesus is a friend of mine. If anybody saw that go viral, old 80s pop song before K-Love was around. Jesus is a friend of mine. So my neighbor just looks at me and is like, hey, I like my 68 Mustang. This dude likes Jesus. Everybody's got a thing. You know, seriously, my neighbor's got a 68 Mustang, took me, in, took me out in it last week. We went out for barbecue. Well, how many know that's what your neighbor's going to think? Well, I got my Mustang. That makes me happy. That dude's got Jesus. That sister, that woman's got Jesus. That makes them happy. But how many know it's a different conversation when I go, you see that Mustang? That Mustang is going to turn to dust when my Jesus comes back. And that which makes you happy is going to be the equivalent of what we call sand. Gone. Jesus is going to save you. And you need him to save you because you're a sinner. Would you like to have the Jesus that saved me 
save you. How many know that's a different conversation? Otherwise, everybody's going to tell you what they love. Have you been born again? People have given me the most oddest responses over the years. Have you been born again? Oh, yeah, when I saw my child, mothers have told me this. Oh, when I saw my child, I was born again. Dude's coming out of prison. Oh, yeah, man, after I did 20 to life, man, they let me out, man. Oh, I got born again, man. I got a new life. That's how they, you know, oh, I got born again. Seriously, you talk to Joe Rogan. Oh, man, I did mescaline. Oh, I got a new life, man. Now let's be very clear what we mean by born again. Have you repented of sins to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Have you been given a new spiritual life that transforms your mind to your heart to your strength, what you do? And now you live for that person. That's a new life, amen? And we'll help people get there in Jesus' name. Can we stand up and give it up for the Lord today? Amen. Amen. We owe it all to Jesus.